0: We're turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 11 as we continue, of course, our study of the book of Daniel. And what we're going to do is, we look this morning, we bring to a close the visions of Daniel. We've seen a lot, and this gives us the revelation that goes all the way until the return of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Daniel's been in mourning for 21 days. An angel appears and gives him information. Not only is he giving the information that takes place in the next 200 or 300 years from Daniel, but it goes all the way to the end time, past us, even to the time when Jesus Christ comes back as the King of kings and Lord of lords. The book of Daniel can help us so much. When you think about it, Paul writes that the Old Testament was written for our instruction. That we can have hope and encouragement from God's word. So, as we look this morning at Daniel chapter eleven, I pray that there'll be some great things that you can see and understand. You know, when when you turn on television and you see these commercials for spiritual advisors, or if you drive through a town and there's this palm thing, palm reader up there, and this spiritual advisor, they're going to tell you that uh, they're going to tell you the future. It's kind of funny. They always have a Jamaican accent, and uh, they use tarot cards and those kind of things. By the way, just Heard something just recently that Christians are using a thing called destiny cards. Be very careful if you hear anything about that. That's the same as tarot cards. It's trying to it's trying to read the future, but they're putting a Christian spin on it and calling them destiny cards. So they don't have anything to do with that sort of thing. Uh, there are people who wish they could tell the future. They'd like to try to do that. The truth is, I think I think I'd rather take it one day at a time. Wouldn't you? I don't I don't want to know what's going to be next week. Uh, the the book of Daniel was written over 2,500, 2,500 years ago. But it gives us so much information, even information of the events that are still to come. We think about what Daniel is saying, but let's think about for us for just a second. You realize that all of these events that Daniel talked about, he, he saw the first coming of Jesus Christ. He also saw the second coming of Jesus Christ. But where we are right now is that Jesus has died and rose again. We're in the church age. We know that the very next event, and the Bible talks about it, hadn't happened yet, the next event would be what we call the rapture of the church in which Jesus Christ comes in the clouds. The dead in Christ rise first. We who are alive and remain to be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air. We call that the rapture. Once we're gone, that... We already saw in the book of Daniel that God had promised the nation of Israel 490 years. They have used up 483 when the Messiah died. They have seven years left. That seven years is the tribulation. We're going to actually look at that some this morning when we see the man of sin come to power and make a peace pact with the nation of Israel, and in the middle of that peace pact, he claims to be God at the three and a half year markets. And so we'll look, that, you know, we'll look at that as we see it. And then, of course, for us, we won't be in the tribulation. We'll be with Jesus Christ. And when he comes as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which is what that song was about, we're coming with him. And we're coming to this earth, and we're going to see the victory that he has. We'll actually see some of that this morning in the book of Daniel. Jesus Christ comes and sets up a kingdom that lasts for a 1,000 years. It's found in Revelation chapter 20. The first seven or eight verses actually says seven different times it'll be a 1,000-year reign of Christ. Following that will be a a resurrection. There'll already be a resurrection of believers, and we'll go into the kingdom, and there'll be a resurrection of unbelievers. At the end of the 1,000-year reign, they'll stand before what's known as the great white throne judgment. And then we go into eternity. So that's what's coming. And when we see this, the the word of God is so perfect. The book of Daniel, uh, we see a man who lived for God, but then we see a man who got information from God. And all of the events that Daniel is recording is future from him. It's future from him. Uh, But for us, most of them have come to pass except the very future things we're going to see some this morning. And what we call it the final vision in the book of Daniel. And it's not even for Daniel, but as well, because we're going, to, we're going to see all the way to the time of what we call the Antichrist. Now, let me break this down for you just so you can see how it fits together. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 all go together in the book of Daniel. Chapter 10, the angel comes to Daniel. He's been in mourning for 21 days. He's been praying. The angel comes and begins to give him information. We see the final vision, which is chapter 11, which we've been looking at. And then we see the conclusion to the whole thing, which is chapter 12. If you want to break it down in this way, one way to break it down would be this. This is chapter 11 that we're studying right now. The first four verses deal with Alexander, the great, and the Persians, the Medio-Persians, and the Greco-Macedonians. And then from verses 5 to 20, which is the handout that I gave you last week, there's a few handouts like this out on the table as you come in. If you didn't get one of these last week, this this handout actually tells you who the kings of the north and the south are in those 20 verses, those 5 through 20. And then we see the details last week of the Antiochus Epiphanes the 4th. We'll see him a little bit this morning verses 21 through 35. And then where we're starting this morning, where we're going to get into the details, is the Antichrist in the future. Another way to look at it would be this way. The ram and the goat revisited. That's Ahasuerus and Alexander. That's the Medo-Persians and the Greco-Macedonians. And then the north and the south is Syria and Egypt, the Ptolemy and the, the Seleucid empires. The madman is Antiochus Epiphanes. That's verses 21 through 35. We've talked about him and who he is. And then finally, they call it here the last king because in verse 36, it says, then the king will do as he pleases. This is that last king. He's the Antichrist and the time of the end. And of course, at the bottom, this says, it's to remind believers that God knows the end from the beginning. He's in complete control of all history. So when Daniel, Gets this information; it's all future to him. It's almost all future to him. For us, the events have already come. Alexander the Great has come. There's been the the battle of the Ptolemy and the and those and there's been the Antiochus Epiphanes. Already, he lived at uh, one sixty seven BC. But now, as we get to verses, basically thirty six to forty five, that hasn't happened yet. And let me tell you something: the events that happened from verse basically 1 all the way through verse 35, they happened exactly as God said they would. That means verses 36 through 45, they haven't happened yet. They will happen exactly as God says they will. You can count on God's word. Well, let's go back. Let's just briefly remember this man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Go back to verse 21 just for a second. If you remember in verses 21 through 35, there's this man named Antiochus Epiphanes. He's called the little Antichrist of the Old Testament. He persecuted the Jewish people from 173 B.C. to 163 B.C. If you notice verse 21, look what it says. In his place, a despicable person will arise that despicable person is antiochus epiphanes that's who he is he is called the the little antichrist he is the despicable man this is what he looked like it's on his coin he is called the despicable one and let me remind you of what happened he was controlling things he had defeated the egyptians he was controlling the syrian part of the world he decides to go fight the egyptians again and as he goes down there the romans who are rising to power come to meet him And they said to him, you better go back where you came from. And they embarrassed him. One of the Roman generals came up to him, drew a circle around him, and said, if you get out of the circle, we'll kill you right now. And he didn't get out of the circle. He got back in on on his weapons, and and they headed back north. They were going back through Israel. The Jewish people had heard that Antiochus Epiphanes IV had been killed in the battle and they rejoiced but he hadn't been killed and when he heard that they were rejoicing because he had been killed they thought he thought he came and he began to persecute them and in verse Basically, 31, he desecrated. This is, by the way, I wanted to show you this. This is where Rome, the ships of Kittim came, and this is where he came down there, and Caiaphas Epiphanes came right there. The Romans came and stopped him, and as he was going back home, he goes right through the land of Israel. And when he finds out that the Jewish people had laughed about him, thought he was dead, he comes after them, and he puts an idol up in the temple. He sacrifices, he sacrifices a pig on the altar. He takes an altar of... of an altar of Zeus, and puts it in the temple and offers sacrifices. And so the Jewish people run for their lives. He's killing them. I told you all last couple of weeks ago that any little boys that were circumcised, and all Jewish boys were circumcised, he killed them, hung them around their mother's necks, and then put the mothers up on poles, stick them through. He was just such an evil man. And we told you the story of, of, of Judas Maccabeus. And Matthias, Maccabeus, his sons, they all got into a... They began to defeat Antiochus Epiphanes, and they ran him out of Jerusalem, and they took the temple back, and they set up the temple, and they lit the candles, and they only had enough oil for one day, and it burned for eight days. And that was called the Feast of Lights, and the Jewish people still celebrate that day called Hanukkah. If most of you have heard of Hanukkah, well, that's where we are. We saw those, and so the Maccabees ran him out, Now, as you get to verse 36 of Daniel chapter 11, it says, Then the king will do as he pleases. We're moving past Antiochus Epiphanes to another king who will come. Some people say, How do we know this isn't Antiochus? Because Antiochus never did these things and because no one else in history has ever done these things. The things that we're going to see in the next verses will come to pass in the future. And this king... The, is the same as the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, which is the one we call the Antichrist. Now, be careful. You can call him the Antichrist. When you go to the book of Revelation, he's not called the Antichrist. He's called the beast that rises out of the sea. So when, if you want to be really technical, just say the beast that comes up out of the sea. I'm going to still call him Antichrist as well because most of us have always heard that. He's coming. Verse 36 Then the king, then this king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and he will speak monstrous things against the god of gods, and he will prosper until the indignation is finished, For that which is decreed will come. This is the Antichrist. This is the beast that rises up out of the sea. If you said, well, how do we know this is not Antiochus? Because if you look over to verse 40, both kings of the north and kings of the south are fighting against him. Antiochus was the called the king of the north. So this is not Antiochus. This is the Antichrist. And this will fulfill the final seven years that God promised the Jews. I want you to notice four things about this man. Notice number one, the king will do as he pleases. He'll do whatever he wants. He's going to come to power and he's going to do whatever he wants. Let me just tell you something. This man whoever he is he could be alive on this earth today he could be in ruler he could be ruling a country today over in the uh, what would be the old revised Roman Empire. He could be in any country of the world today. He could be alive today. We could be taken out in any second. The rapture could come at any second. And then there might be this 10 king federation and then this one man's going to come to power. We've already seen this over the weeks that we've talked about this. This man will do as he pleases the best we can understand from the scripture. He is demon possessed. He's not just influenced by angels. He is demon possessed by the devil himself. He is the most evil person that will ever have been on this earth and we call him the antichrist or the beast that comes up out of the sea he does whatever he wills. The second thing it says about him, the king, this king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He exalts himself. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that he claims to be God. He puts his idol up in the temple in Jerusalem and demands to be worshipped. In Revelation 13 verses 5 through 10, he comes up out of the sea, which means he comes up out of the mass of humanity. He claims to be God. He is wounded. It looks like he dies. We don't know whether he dies. And God brings back from the dead or it looks like he dies, but everybody thinks he dies and comes back from the dead and they begin to worship him. He puts his idol up in the temple claiming to be God. He magnifies and exalts himself. That's who he is. He's going to do that. He's going to claim to be God. The third thing is he speaks monstrous things as it says in this passage. Not only does he claim to be God, but he blasphemies the true God. He speaks against Jesus Christ and the true God and anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. If we think that as Christians that we've been persecuted, we haven't seen anything. We're going to be gone, but there are going to be believers on the face of the earth during this tribulation time period in which he will persecute them greatly. The fourth thing is that he rules for a certain period of time. It's called a times time and half a time. It's three and a half years that he rules as God. He claims to be God on the face of the earth. So you understand that one of these days we're going to be gone. There's going to be a ten-king federation. Out of the ten kings, there'll be three kings. Out of the three kings, there'll be one king. That one king will be the beast who comes up out of the sea. We call him the Antichrist. He's called the king here. He's called the little horn in Daniel chapter 7. He's going to come to power. He's going to make a peace pact with the nation of Israel. It will be for seven years. When he makes that peace pact with Israel, he claims to bring peace to the earth, but he doesn't. There are wars and rumors of wars, and halfway through the seven years, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, he claims to be God puts his idol up in the temple speaks blasphemous things exalts himself above everyone and decides from that point on that you must worship him and anyone that worship him has to have a mark it's called the mark of the beast it's 666 it's put either here or here if you don't worship him, if you believe in Jesus Christ, and many, many people will, 144,000 Jews at the beginning of the tribulation will trust in Jesus Christ, and then thousands upon thousands of people on this earth will trust in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. If you don't take the mark of the beast, and believers won't take the mark of the beast, he's going to try to kill every one of them. This is the kind of person that he is, because he wants to be God, and he is controlled by Satan. Satan. And so he magnifies himself. Look at verse 37. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. He will seek to be worshipped. There's some questions in this verse. What does it mean? He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers, nobody knows what exactly what that means. It seems to mean that he will not have a particular God he worships, but he will say that he's God. The second thing, if you'll notice, it says, "Or for the desire of women." No one knows exactly what that means. Some people say it means he won't have anything to do with women. Some people mean that when he has no desire for women. It means he doesn't desire them in any way. He wants to kill them all. Some say that he'll be a homosexual because he doesn't desire, have no desire for women. Nobody knows what all this means. It just says that he will magnify himself above all. And then look what it says. And still, he would instead, he will honor a god of fortress, a god whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasures. He honors power, might, and war. The most believe that he worships Satan. Even though he wants to be worshipped, he actually worships Satan. And that's who the god that he's worshipping. And he rejects the true god and claims to be god. Now, you know, when we talk about the Trinity, we say the Trinity. Oh, the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, theologians call, call this the unholy trinity. Let me show you what I mean. Because there is the father, which is Satan. There is the son, which is the beast of the Antichrist. And there is so, so-called unholy trinity. The Holy Spirit would be the false prophet. And so Satan always wants to be like God. So just like God the father has the father, son, the Holy Spirit, Satan has himself, his son is the beast, and the Holy Spirit is the one called the false prophet. That's going to be there. Look at verse 39. He will take action against the strongest of forces with the help of a foreign God. I think the foreign God is Satan. He will give honor, great honor to those who acknowledge him. Those who acknowledge him take the mark of the beast. Those who take the mark of the beast acknowledge him as God and as Savior. Do you understand that? There will be people on this earth during the tribulation who will take the mark of the beast and they will believe that this man who rises up in Jerusalem and puts an idol in the temple and claims to be God, they will actually believe that he is God and they will worship him and they will take the mark of the beast. And it says here that he will honor those who... Or with him. He will honor those who acknowledge him. So it's coming. Now comes the end time. Notice the next verse. At the end time, the king of the south will collide with him, and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships, and he will enter countries, overflow them, and pass through. There's going to be a battle at the end. The king of the south, the best we can understand, is Egypt. Egypt is going to rise up against him. The king of the north is not Syria. The king of the north, most believe, according to when you look at the book of Revelation, is probably Russia. They're directly north. And so all of a sudden there's a war coming. And Russia begins to try to come against this man. Egypt tries to come against this man. And notice the next verse. He will enter the beautiful land. Does anybody know where the beautiful land is? The beautiful land is Israel. He will enter the beautiful land, and many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the foremost sons of Ammon. Now, I want to show you something. If you look at Matthew 24 and 25, if you look at the book of Revelation, if you look at Zechariah, you find that right at the end when he puts his idol in the temple at the three-and-a-half-year mark, claims to be God, the Bible tells the believers on the face of the earth to run for their lives. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, when you see the abomination and desolation as spoken of by Daniel the prophet, don't go back in the house, don't go get extra clothes, run for your life. Now, I want you to understand that they're supposed to run for their life and flee to safety. The beautiful land is Israel. So he's coming into Israel. What are the Jewish people going to do? The Bible tells them, listen to this, in Isaiah 16, verse 3, there is a place called Selah. It has another name. The other name is Petra. It's a place that they are to flee to safety. In Matthew 24, verse 15, he says, flee to the mountains, the mountains of Petra, the mountains of Selah. So what is this? What is this place? I want to show you on a map. This is modern-day Jordan. This is Israel over here. This is Jerusalem. On the King's Highway, I have been on the King's Highway. I have gone to this city. It's called Petra. Another name for it is Sila. It is supposed to be the place that the Jewish people are to run for their lives when the Antichrist puts his idol up in the temple. When I was in Israel in 1976, we flew into Amman, Jordan, you can't fly to Jerusalem first. You can't fly to Israel first. If you fly to Israel first, they won't let you into this Arab country. If you go into an Arab country, the Jewish people will let you come into their country. We flew into Amman, Jordan. We took the King's Highway, and we went all the way down to Petra. Now, this verse says that God will protect a certain part of the world during the tribulation. Notice what it says. He will enter the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but they will be rescued out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the foremost sons of Ammon. I want to show you on a map. Here's Edom, there's Petra, here's Moab, here's Ammon, the Ammonites. This is part of modern day uh, Jordan. And so when the Jewish people are to run for their lives and they're to get down to Petra. Now, do you know what Petra looks like? Most of you have seen it, you just may not realize you've seen it. This is going into Petra. If you saw Indiana Jones, And the last crusade or the final crusade, it was filmed in Petra, this city where the Jewish people are to flee. This is what it looks like when you come in. The city is made out of rock. It's called Petra. That's the Greek word for rock. And they've actually carved buildings into the rock. This is what it looks like. And that was in that movie. This is where they filmed the movie. I have been to this place. This is the place that Jewish people will flee during the tribulation. It's called Petra or Seila. Isaiah 16 verse 3 is called Selah, And God says, run to the mountains. Notice verse 42. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries and the land of Egypt will not escape. He'll defeat the Egyptians. But he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt and Libya and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. He begins to conquer what we think the world and there's going to be a battle. Notice verse 44. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and to annihilate many. The armies coming from the east is found in the book of Revelation. It is from in, coming from China. 200 million soldiers cross the Tigris Euphrates River to come to battle against this Antichrist. Armies from the north come. This is what we call the world, the armies of the world gather together. It's called the campaign of Armageddon. I told you a while ago that Armageddon comes from two Hebrew words. Har, which means mountain, Megiddo, which is a, a valley area. And so har Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo, we say har Megiddo, Armageddon. The final battle is going to be fought in a big plain in the northern part of Israel. And as the battle is fought, they will move and surround Jerusalem to destroy Jerusalem. And coming to fight the final battle is Jesus Christ. And I want you to see verse 45. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. You know what the holy mountain is? That's Mount Moriah. That's Mount Zion. That's the mountain which the temple is built on, will be built on in Jerusalem. That's called Mount Zion. And he will come to his end. It says between the seas. I want you to understand that between the seas, between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea, that's where the Antichrist is going to come. He's going to come to Jerusalem. Now, I want to show you something, and we'll be through, okay? I want to show you the Battle of Jerusalem. You do not have to turn there. But I want to read something to you. This is in Zechariah. Zechariah 14. This is the final battle. The final battle for Jerusalem where Jesus Christ is going to come. Listen to what this says. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil will be taken from you and be divided. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. That's what's going to happen. And the city will be captured. They will take the city. Houses will be plundered. Women ravished. Half of the city exiled. The rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then listen. Then the Lord, here he comes. Jesus Christ will come then the Lord will go forth and fight against these nations when he fights on the day of the battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split, in the middle from the east to the west by a very large valley to the half of the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. You understand that Mount Zion and Mount Moriah is the same mountain and that's where the temple is built. Jesus Christ is going to come out of heaven at this final battle and he's going to land in Jerusalem on the top of the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in two from the north to the south and it's going to make a valley and there's going to be a river. Water is going to run all the way down and it tells us in another place that water runs out of Jerusalem all the way to the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea becomes fresh water. It's, it's salt water now. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. It will come a time when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom as the king. The Dead Sea will have fish in it and it says that men will fish in the Dead Sea. That's not happened yet. That's happening in Zechariah. Also, I want to read this to you because it's so beautiful. Because we win, by the way. Just remember this. We win. We win because it's going to be so bad. But listen to this. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and weighs his war. He's coming to fight the final battle. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written which nobody knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is the Word of God. And armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen are coming on white horses. That's us. We're going to let him fight. We're just coming, okay? Go ahead. Have a great time. We're coming behind him. From his mouth comes this sharp sword so that he will strike down the nations. He will rule with a a rod of iron. And it says, On his robe and on his thigh is the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then it says this, And I saw the beast, Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, and their armies were assembled to make war against him. And the beast was seized. And with him the false prophet who performed these signs... And they were cast alive into the lake of fire. When Jesus Christ comes back as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that evil man who, on this earth who has killed millions of people and is trying to do everything he can to be worshipped and be God, Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to take him and the false prophet and cast them into the lake of fire. That's what's going to happen. Let me go back to Daniel. Verse 45, he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and on the beautiful holy mountain, that's Mount Zion or Mount Moriah, and he will come to his end, and no one will help him. I want to read 12, 1 and 2. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will rise, and it will be such a great time of distress as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And and so he's saying, there's going to come this time we call the tribulation. At that time, this, this tribulation is coming. And it says, and all the people whose names are found written in the book will be rescued. The book is the book of life. You know how you get your name in the book of life? By believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's what he gives you. He gives you eternal life and you get put in the book of life. You put your faith in Christ to give you life forever and you're found in the book of life. And he says that those people will be rescued. And then he gives a summary, and we're going to talk about this next week. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake those those to everlasting life and come to disgrace. There's going to be people who will be raised from the dead to live forever with Jesus Christ. There are going to be people raised from the dead to be separated from Jesus Christ forever. He gives a summary. We're going to see more of it next week. Let me remind you that... We're talking about this event. When Jesus comes as the king of kings and the lord of lords, the antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus Christ sets up a kingdom and rules for a thousand years. And the believers will be raised and go into the kingdom. Unbelievers will be raised at the end of the thousand years. And they will go, if they're not believers, if their names are not found written in the book of life, they will be cast into the lake of fire. In this section, we have seen... a world ruler, a world world religion, a world war, a tribulation, the deliverance of Israel, resurrection, and judgment. And we're going to see next week, not only resurrection, but rewards. And we're going to see how that fits together. Let me give you some quick applications, okay? Let's do the will of the Father. Think about it. The, The Antichrist has come to do his will. He wants to do whatever he wants to do, but we have come to do the will of the Father. Now, we're following the example not of the Antichrist, but of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I have come to do the what? The will of the Father. Why are we here? We are here to do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is to live for him, to serve him, to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. We are not here for ourselves. Let's realize that God's word is perfect. It always comes true. Don Campbell was the president of Dallas Seminary. He also taught me some of my classes at Dallas Seminary. Here's what he said. He said, prophecy is hidden, is history pre-written. That's what it is. Do you think that if all of the prophecies in the past came true exactly as the Bible said that, do you think the prophecies for the future will come true exactly as God says them? The answer is yes. So what do we need to do? We need to know the Bible in the end times. We need to live it out in our lives, and we need to make disciples. We need to help other people understand it. Last but not least, let's understand there's a resurrection coming, both believers and unbelievers. I want you to understand something. Death is not the end. Every human being will be raised from the dead. Listen carefully. Every human being will be raised from the dead. Some to live forever with Jesus Christ called eternal life. Some to live forever, or let me put it this way, some to exist forever forever separated from Christ, it's called the second death. That's the lake of fire. Either you're going to live forever or you're going to die forever. One is with Jesus Christ, one is separated from Christ. The only way to live forever is to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you can do that right now, right where you're sitting. If you've never trusted Christ, you can say, Lord, I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. I'm trusting in him to give me eternal life. And by the authority of the scripture, you have eternal life the moment you believe.